0: We're going to do something a little bit different today, but not altogether that different. Um, And here's what I mean. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus. And I've said it many times, forgive me, but uh, I say it a lot because I think it's really important to remind even myself as I've been studying through that what we have been witnessing, what we've been reading through, what we've been watching, the account of God producing a people. Okay, so sometimes we get bogged down a little bit in the, Stories of Exodus, and they're great stories, right? We got Moses going on, and his parents put him in the river. And then we got like the 12 or 10 plagues of Egypt, right? And that's kind of where we've been in for the last couple months. And then we're going to get into the 10 commandments and the law and the things like that. And you could you kind of lose the forest for the trees. What is happening is God is coming. He's going to come out of this time period with a people who are his people. Right? So what we're, we're doing right now is this first half of the book. The book of Exodus is kind of split in half. The first half is God bringing his people out. And then the second half is going to be what it looks like to live now that his people have been brought out. So he's producing a people. We come into the book of Exodus with this family. We come out of this book of Exodus with this nation that is God's people proclaimed as his people and self-proclaimed as his people. And what he has to do in the meantime is he has to bring his people out and then he has to send his people out right so if you wanted to like mental note quick outline of the book of exodus it's redemption it's pulling his people out of slavery and then uh, worship like what it looks like to live now in response to God bringing us out of slavery and so that's what we've watched so far we're only in chapter nine in our study but God is bringing his people out and if we were to fast forward the account Yahweh is going to remove his people from slavery and put them on a new path. And the word that we used for that a couple weeks ago was system, right? I could say lifestyle. I could say a lot of different words. I just choose to use the word system. And I'm going to use the word system a lot today because the idea of system is that it's interconnected. That there's different pieces that impact one another, that the whole thing works together, that if you mess up one part of the system, then the rest of the system is affected. And that's kind of the understanding that the people of God have had since the very beginning of time. Right? Since God started walking with people, they understood their lives not as just these siloed compartments where we're like, we do our God thing on Sunday, we do our work thing Monday through Friday, and then we do our entertainment, religious or entertainment thing Friday, Saturday night. We're, like, there was never an understanding of that in the people of God. There was always that all of this works together, that all the parts affect the other parts, that life was a system of interconnected things going on. And so what we saw, as we've been working through Exodus, is God is actually coming against and bringing judgment on a bad system of the Egyptians. Remember a couple of weeks ago, before Christmas, we talked about him bringing this plague of boils directly related to the brick kilns that the, the Israelites were making bricks in because of forced slavery. And so there was this idea that this act of injustice was being exposed and punished by God Very clearly, for all the Egyptians to see, it was God's way of saying, like, the life system that you are living that is okay with injustice, gross injustice in your midst, murder of babies, and mistreatment of a different people group, like, that's not okay with me, right? This system of life that you've been living is not okay. And so, God's going to bring his people out of a bad system and set them on path for a a good system, a new system. And it's going to be very detailed. If we were to fast forward, and we're going to get there as we study through the book of Exodus, but we're not going to do it this morning. If we were to fast forward, the new system that God sets in place for his people is very detailed. It's like, here's what you can eat. Here's what you can't eat. Here's what days you can work. Here's the days you can't work. When you do work, here's the kind of work you could do. Here's the kind of work you can't do. Right? Here's how you should worship me. Here's the kind of building I would like to be worshipped in. Here's the materials you should use for the building that you worship me in. Here's where everything should be set in the furniture. Here's how you should worship me when somebody punches you in the face. Here's how somebody should worship me when you get your eye gouged out. Here's like on and on it goes. Super detailed. Like these are the days you do this. This is how you react to this situation. This is allowed. This is not allowed. Over and over. What you eat. Time of day. Rhythm all this type of thing is incorporated into the life system that God builds into his people. There's a lot to it. That's not the point of this message. But the point of this message, and where I do want to start, is reminding us of this idea that God's people have always understood life as a system, as an interconnected system. You already know this. It's probably why you're at church on a Sunday, right? Even a Sunday that's the New Year's Day, right? You could be home watching football or whatever else is going on today, Like sleeping in whatever you did last night or whatever is happening, right? You're at church probably because you understand that there's value in gathering together with the people of God and worshiping and receiving from the word of God. You probably understand there's value, even when sometimes it doesn't feel valuable right? Moms barely get their kids in the door. They're screaming. The code goes up on the screen. You got to go up and change a baby. Like by the time you were here for an hour, you maybe got like 10 minutes of actual silence where you could focus on the word of God and you can't even remember what that 10 minutes was about, right? So you're like, I don't know if that was valuable at all. Or like some of you came in, and you're like, I don't really like the songs, right? I didn't, some of the message points were a little, I didn't, I couldn't follow him. I don't like his illustrations, right? Whatever. But you still come to church because you realize that there's value in this, right? Because God says there's value, because the church was plan A for God's bringing salvation to the world. So you, I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning. You already get that. Good for you. You implement biblical practices and kingdom values into your life system. And this coming to church idea and investing in relationship with other believers, that's one of many of the habits that God's people have built into their life system. But there's lots of times values that are also built into that life system. It's not just practices. It's not just we go to church, but many times there's values that are communicated by the practices, right? So there's this physical act tied to a kingdom value. And and Jesus over and over and over would point these types of things out, right? There's the physical act. It was tied to a kingdom value. People would engage in it. And Jesus would be like, you see that right there? You see why they're doing that? You see how that's happening? Disciples, pay attention. In fact, there's this one story where Jesus takes his disciples, and they go and they stand by the collection bins for the money at the temple, at the Jewish temple. All right? So all these people are bringing their tithes and offerings, and they're, and they're giving their offerings of financial gifts to the temple. And, and Jesus and his disciples are sitting there watching this happen, and these people are giving lots and lots of money. And then Jesus points out this widow in the crowd. He says, see her right there? And the disciples are like, whoa, yeah. And I bet at the time the disciples are like, how much is she going to put in? And she puts in like $2. I mean, it's just like compared to the amount of money that is coming from like everybody else, it's like almost zero. $2. And it's enough to buy like something maybe, right? Maybe some bread or something like that. And Jesus said, she gave more than anybody else gave this morning. And he decided to point that out. Now, this is crazy to me, because if that was my grandma, if she was, like, on Social Security, she had $2 left, right? And she came to Riverstone Chapel, and I saw her, like, over there by the tithe box. I was like, I'm going to put my last $2. I'd be like, no, Grandma, like, we're fine. Like, we don't need your $2. It's not going to make a difference for, like, the financial. The spreadsheet's not going to go red because of your $2, right? If it did, we'd just talk to the financial guy, right? But, um... <laughs> Right, like, I'd be like, hey, God knows you're hard, very sweet of you to want to give your last $2. But we don't, we're fine, go buy bread. If that's really your last $2 and you don't have any food, go buy food, like, take care of yourself, consider it a blessing from the Lord, like, you don't need to give it. But Jesus not only didn't stop her, he celebrated her for giving it. Think about that, how different that is, Right? If you had like an elderly person was like, I have $2. Just give my last $2 to the church. You'd be like, hey, we're fine. We're good. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he saw value in this practice. He saw value in her life system by communicating this kingdom value through this behavior of hers. And when she gave of the last bit of her money, Jesus said, that's exactly what I'm talking about right there. That's exactly the type of life that understands the value of the kingdom of God. And so, like, over and over, we see Jesus point these out. I, won't, I don't have time to do a ton of them. But I believe that's part of our job as Christians, right? And not only part of our job as Christians, but our job as a church, like, and now more specifically my job and, and our leadership team's job, as leading a body of believers, how can we live this out, How can we lead people to live this out? How can we teach in such a way that people understand what the Holy Spirit is calling them to do in order to live this out? Not only to think differently, because lots of Christians understand the idea that we need to think differently than the world, right? We need to have different ideas. But it's not just different ideas. It's different behaviors. It's different actions. It's different patterns. It's different rhythms. Because our life is based on different values. So to use the word I've used over and over, it's a whole different system. It's like different rules. It's why like a Macintosh and that's an old one because you guys don't even know it, like a Samsung phone and an Apple phone. You can't download the same apps for both of them, right? Why? Because they have different rules. They speak different languages. That's the same thing with a Christian. You have a whole different system now. There's different values, different rules, different languages. So. Here's the question where we'll start our message. You're like, start our message? What have we been doing for 10 minutes? It's New Year's. What would it look like to build our life systems in 23 on kingdom values and practices? Is there something that we could do to arrange and posture our hearts to behave and act in accordance with the Holy Spirit's values and systems that he desires to put in our life. I, I believe there is, and uh, our leadership team believes there is. And so what we're going to do, and this is the second year in a row we've done this, is we're going to start 2023 with a time of corporate prayer and fasting. We're going to spend the first part of our year in a time of, of gathered together In community, prayer and fasting, and we're inviting you to be a part of that. Now, if you've never been a part of something like this, it's not new, okay? Prayer, you probably know that prayer isn't new. Fasting also is not new. And I'm not talking about the diet, you know, the thing going on so you can fit into your bikini this year. Um, I'm talking about actual denying of self food, in order to live out a kingdom value. Prayer and fasting has almost been completely lost in our culture today, uh, even in the Christian culture, in our church world. But it was a practice tied to a kingdom value that the people of God participated in for literally thousands of years. Okay, so this time of prayer and fasting that we're going to engage in, we're going to call it Focus 12, because it's going to last for 12 days, 12 days, We kind of just picked it but kind of didn't just pick it. Our church is named Riverstone Chapel based on Joshua chapter 4 and the 12 stones that the uh, Israelite people pulled out of the Jordan River. So we're going to do 12 days of prayer and fasting. Anyway, back to fasting. Uh, Fasting was introduced and instructed by God to his people in the Old Testament. There were many times in the Old Testament where the people of God fasted because of the circumstances of their lives. Both Old and New Testament, there are several examples in the scriptures of people who are fasting not only because of rhythms and patterns and habits in their lives commanded by God, but because circumstances in their lives were in such a way they're like, oh, this came up. We need to pray and fast for this. And then we get to the New Testament and we have groups of people praying and fasting for a purpose Right, corporate prayer and fasting. That's actually a couple times in the Old Testament too. It's like we're proclaiming a fast because this circumstance came up. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try as best we can as a church to do things that people in the Bible did. Sounds like a novel idea, right? So let's start here. What is fasting? Fasting is when you go without food for a certain period of time. Pretty simple. That's the idea. Uh, people sometimes get a little bit off. The Catholic Church has got their own, like, I'm not bashing the Catholic Church in this, but because of their habits and patterns, right, and Lent and things like that, people are like, oh, I'm fasting from social media or I'm giving up chocolate or I'm fasting from coffee, which, don't do that. I'm joking. If God tells you to do it, do it. But I'm fasting from, you know, TV or technology or I'm fasting from whatever, sports. Uh, That's not fasting, Okay, It's abstinence, which is also a kingdom value and great and valuable and helpful, but it's not fasting. Fasting is going without food. You could combine it with abstinence, and actually, I'm personally, like, without, like, pointing to myself too much. I'm personally going to abstain from a couple of those things like cell phones and sports and things like that during our time of prayer and fasting. So it's going to be combining. But fasting itself is going without food, just so we all know what we're talking about. Does that matter? Is it important? Seems to be important to Jesus. Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted. Every single follower of Jesus that we know of in the New Testament fasted at some point. And they didn't fast from like social media, right? Jesus like, I'm not going to check the gram for two weeks. No, that's not what he did. He went without food. So it seems to be important to God and to Jesus because it does something in our life system that is valuable and helpful for us. Even actually, at the beginning of the New Testament, followers of Jesus, all of them fasted every Wednesday and Friday for hundreds of years. That just is what it meant to be a Christian, right? It was like, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. OK, we fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Cool. And they just did it. That was just what all the Christians did for hundreds and hundreds of years until the Roman government kind of made Christianity the state religion, and it got a little bit weird And that's at that point. But up until that point, all Christians fasted. That was just what they did. They fasted on Wednesday. They called it the black fast, black like sorrow, black fast where they would go without food for daylight hours. They would only eat one meal that day after sunset, and they would do it on Wednesday because that was the day Jesus was betrayed, and they would do it on Friday because that was the day Jesus was hung on the cross. For hundreds of years, that was just normal Christian experience. So, uh, why fasting? Denying yourself food is this kingdom value that we've seen Jesus teach over and over when he spoke about denying yourself, okay? So you could fast from other things that your body doesn't crave as much, or maybe your body does crave them a ton, but there's something special, and food holds a special place in your life that when you deny yourself food, it is a living out of this kingdom value that Jesus talked about to deny yourself. Is there anything more opposite than in our culture, like as a value than to deny yourself. Denying yourself in 2022 in America is like, what's wrong with you? Like that's, it's actually not only not celebrated to deny yourself, it's actually looked down upon and judged as morally wrong. You can't deny yourself. You have to be true to yourself. The heart wants what the heart wants, which is like A ridiculous saying from an old guy that like fell in love with a teenager, right? And we quote it like it's some sort of gospel truth. Like, no, denying yourself is actually the thing that Jesus said must happen if you are to follow him. He didn't say, everyone who comes after me should really think about denying themselves because it would help them. No, he said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You have to deny yourself, it's not optional. So anyway, the first thing that you would notice if you began fasting is that fasting will expose your bondage. Okay, we're going to talk about what will happen if we begin to fast right now, right? It reveals the areas of your life where you are still enslaved. It, re- it might reveal how focused on yourself you really are. It might reveal how addicted to comfort you have really become. It might reveal how impatient you are when you don't get your way. It might reveal how quick you are to turn to unhealthy, sinful habits in your life to make you feel better. Food is the number one easiest self-medicating coping mechanism there is. Like, you live and have built into your life an unhealthy system, and you're anxious and impatient and hard-hearted and self-focused, and there's strain in your relationships, and you have not a lot of rest in your soul. And you know what turns all of that off for a little bit? Ice cream. Right? Like, oh, I did too much. I overworked. I didn't have good relationships. I was impatient with my kids. I didn't invest good in my wife. And my marriage is kind of on the rocks. It's like, but chocolate is so good. Right? Food has a way of just turning that off for a little bit. right? Like, oh, man, things are like, but tacos, yes. Or anything flavored like coffee, yes. right? Some of you are like, that was a little too close to home, Jared. Right? But that, it's true. Like, food is the number one easiest thing to get your mind off of your unhealthy life system. So the first thing you'll notice, besides being hungry, if you take food out of the equation, is there is nowhere for your bad life system to hide. There's nowhere for your anxiety to hide. There's nowhere for your selfish habits to hide. If you aren't loving and self-sacrificing in your relationships, that's going to become really apparent when you're hangry. You remember those Snickers commercials where it's like, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Like, yeah, you're actually your most self when you're hungry. And that brings us to the next thing fasting does. Fasting gives us practice. Fasting gives us practice. Fasting is practiced humility and suffering. So it's like training, right? If you want to be good at anything, like sports or music or anything, you train, you practice. You do what you think you're going to do over and over and over and over again. A basketball player will shoot baskets at a hoop Right? Over and over and over again so that when they get into a game and they get the ball, the hope is they can make a shot because they've practiced it. Right? I have basketball coaches murmuring to their wives in the crowd. Is that wrong? No, we want to make shots. Passing is for losers. Anyway, right? We practice this thing so we can make shots. The same thing is in the Christian life as we practice humility and suffering. Humility is something God calls us to live into, right? You think you're going to be great at humility if you never practice it? No. You you never practice being humble. You never practice going through difficulty. You never practice enduring. You never practice going through something that doesn't feel right, and you not getting your way. So what happens when you fast is you practice denying yourself. So the kingdom of God values denying yourself. Fasting practices denying yourself. The kingdom of God values humility. Fasting is a practice in humility, not getting your way. The kingdom of God teaches that God works through suffering. Fasting is a practice of allowing God to work in something that is hard and difficult. Skipping a meal is difficult. So if you practice it and then you go out into the world and somebody else makes life difficult on you, maybe they cut you off on the freeway or maybe they break a relationship in a way that really is hurtful to you or maybe they sin against you really, truly, and strongly, you don't freak out because you've practiced. You've practiced not getting your way so when life works out that you don't get your way, you're fine. Now, when that starts to happen, when we do this practice suffering and this practice humility and this practice enduring of hardship and, and we, we begin to shape our character in those instances, then something really cool begins to happen. When those kingdom principles begin to take root in our hearts, then something really cool happens. It's called breakthrough. And this is the next thing that fasting can do. Fasting can lead Breakthrough. There's actually this story in your Bible where Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of him uh, to this town. And that wasn't super new. Jesus had sent his disciples out by themselves before. In fact, he sent them out one time. He said, Hey, go throughout all the land, preach the gospel, heal people who are sick, cast out demons, don't take any money, don't take an extra coat. You'll be fine. The Spirit of God will go before you and will provide for you. And they went out, and it was awesome. They were super successful. And they came back, and they were like, Jesus, we got to tell you what happened. We did this, and people listened to us. We preached the gospel. People came in to faith in God. We cast out demons. We healed sick people. This was amazing. They were super successful at it. OK? So it wasn't new that Jesus sent his disciples out. This time, he sends them on ahead of them to a town. They get to the town, and this dad has a son who's demon-possessed. And every time the demon takes a hold of the son, the kid has seizures on the ground, uncontrollably shaking. So the dad comes to the disciples. He says, will you please heal my son? And the disciples are like, yeah, we got this. I don't know if they're really that prideful about it, but that's my guess, right? So they're like, yeah, we could do this, right? So where is he? He's right here. They try to cast him out. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. And I could just picture John and Peter, like, arguing, like, do the thing. And he's like, I'm doing the thing. It's not working. He's like, what do we do now? He's like, I don't know. Like, it's not working. What happens at this point is the Jewish leaders who are against the followers of Jesus, they start talking trash. They're like, I thought you guys were casting out demons. Why isn't it working? What's happening? So the disciples and the Jewish leaders start arguing, like, shut your trap, you I don't know if they said that either, right? I'm making all this up except for the core of the story, right? So there's this argument going on between the Jewish leaders and the disciples. The dad's still bummed because the kid's still demon-possessed. The demon-possessed kid is having a seizure on the ground. Jesus walks into this mess, and it's going crazy, and he casts the demon out of the kid. And he calms everybody down. The arguments stop. The disciples and Jesus walk out of town. The dad is hugging his son, who has been saved by Jesus. It's this wonderful moment. And the disciples come to Jesus afterward, and they say, why couldn't we cast that demon out? What was the deal? We've cast demons out before. What happened? And Jesus said, this kind can come out only through prayer and fasting. Now, some of you are like, wait, there's different kinds of demons? I know, scary, right? But There is a breakthrough that happens. Whatever else is being taught in that passage, we do know that there is another way that God can work on your behalf if you enter into a time of prayer and fasting. That's what that means. That means God desires to work on your behalf, and when you step into this moment of prayer and fasting, you step into this intentional self-denial, God can work in your life in a way he wasn't allowed to work previously. I read a book by John Mark Comer recently. He said, when we do what we can do, it allows God to do what we can't do. So we do what we can do, which is fasting, and then it allows the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do, which is this idea of breakthrough. Now, does all fasting lead to breakthrough? Is it like a guarantee? If you fast, you'll get a miracle? No. But that doesn't mean fasting isn't valuable. So earlier, we talked about fasting uh, as like practice. You practice for a couple reasons. You practice because you want to get better at something so that when game day comes, you'll be ready. You also practice so you don't get worse at something. It's like maintenance, right? If you have a skill, you continue to practice that skill so that you don't forget that skill. There's actually another story in your Bible where the church in the city of Ephesus is exploding and people are coming to the church and people are giving their lives to Jesus and they're getting saved and they come and it's like things are going crazy and the group, the leaders of the church are praying and it says the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul and I have a mission for them. I have something I want them to do. And so it says then at the after that, after they hear from God, after God tells them what they do, it says after praying and fasting, they sent them out. Wait, what? If you already heard from God, why do you need to pray and fast? Because you need practice and you need to make sure you're in a good spot right? Before they step out, they hear from God. They're like, okay, we know God is calling us to do this. Now, before we actually go out and do the thing, we want to make sure our hearts are in the right spot. We want to make sure we're practiced being humble. We want to make sure we practice denying ourselves. We want to make sure we're filled up with the scriptures. We want to make sure we're filled up in prayer and with the spirit. We want to make sure that if we're going to do the wrong thing, we give God the opportunity to change our minds, Right, A time of prayer and fasting is a good opportunity for God to be like, hey, stop going that way if you're going the wrong direction. So it was like, we know God is calling us to do this thing. We just want to make sure we're in a good spot with God before we step out and do this thing. So fasting is almost like a tune-up for their car, Right? Most of the time you take your car in for a tune-up and they're like, yep, looks good. A few little tweaks here, new air filter, we're ready. Sometimes you take your car in for a tune-up and they're like, not good. Big fixes. Sometimes that's what prayer and fasting is. And this is where fasting and abstinence can work together. If you skip a meal, you're going to have some free time, right? Right. If you don't eat, especially in these days, right, when so much work went into preparing and planning for a meal, you couldn't just go down to McDonald's and get a meal if you decided to. So if you're going to have free time, don't spend the free time on more social media, right? Don't spend the free time on another Netflix series, right? Do something valuable with your freedom. Spend another 15 minutes with your Bible on your lap. Have another cup of coffee in the morning and just be thankful to Jesus that he loves you right? Text a friend. I just want to encourage you this morning. I'm not eating lunch, so I just wanted to say you're awesome and I'm thankful for you. Maybe read your Bible. Maybe memorize your Bible. Actually, we're going to be focused on this next couple months. Um, There's a, uh, you know, we have a subscription to Right Now Media, which is a video series online. There's one that Ben stumbled upon that was how to read your Bible, teaching people how to study their Bibles. That would be a great thing to do with your free time if you spend this 12 days in prayer and fasting with us. Maybe you're skipping breakfast with us and you're like, I'm gonna watch one of these little videos and I'm gonna actually do what the guy says on how to study my scriptures. That's an incredible use of your time. There's actually, we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 58 later, when God's people fasted and they used the time that they had to continue in their sinful habits. And God was like, what are you doing? You're praying and fasting and you're a jerk to your wife still. Like you're fasting and reading your Bible and you're still not a good dad to your kids. You're, you're oppressing the people who work for you. You're using selfish habits and ambition. Like, what are you, you're supposed to be pressing closer to me, and you're just not going without food, but living according to worldly values. That's not fasting. That's not what I've called you to do. So maybe a time of Bible study and learning how to read your Bible in a different way, that would be an incredibly valuable way to spend these 12 days. There's another great thing about fasting. Uh, When you unplug from food, and maybe you unplug from a couple of these other things in abstinence, like social media, or TV, or sugar, or I don't know, whatever you're going to unplug from, it's like allowing your mind to breathe some fresh air. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've had not fresh air, and you're like, I need some fresh air. You ever been in one of those moments where you're like, just give me some fresh air? Our mind is like that sometimes. The culture we live in, there's just like nasty values like floating through the air, like all the time. Like, if you take this time of prayer and fasting to unplug that for a little bit, that might be incredibly valuable and healthy. I remember when Megan and I were first married, we had to take Toby to Denver. We lived in Colorado at the time for some uh, hospital visits, and the hospital visits were a couple days apart. Um, and so we had to stay the night in Denver for a couple nights. And so we get there and we go to the first hospital visit and we didn't have any money. We were just married. Our, we had family help us with a hotel room for the d- couple days. And so we couldn't spend any money. So we were like, what is free to do in Denver for like the next two days until our next visit? And so we ended up just going to the mall. We're like, oh, it's indoor. It was winter time, so it was cold and stuff like that. We're like, we'll just walk around the mall. So we went to the mall. We walked around. We didn't have a mall in the small town we were in. So we're like, this is cool, a mall, right? I know nobody cares about the mall anymore. But at the time, it was a big deal, because I'm old. Anyway, so we're walking around the mall. And we're like, this was great. Toby had fun. We got to let him run around a little bit. He didn't break anything. It was great. So the next day, we get up. No doctor's appointment this day. We're like, the mall was great yesterday. Let's do the mall again. So we looked on our phones. It was like, there's a bigger mall not too far away. So we go to the bigger mall. We walk big laps around this mall. And Toby runs around. And then this one has a play place. And it was like, whoa, this is cool. So like, Toby loves the play place. It was like, great, two days straight in the mall. So the third day, Toby's like, I want to go back to the play place. We're like, uh, I'm kind of tired of the mall. but. I guess it's free, right? So Megan's found another mall that was the nicest mall in Denver and had some stores that weren't at the other malls. And we're like, we'll go to this mall. And by the third day in the mall, man, like my clothes started looking dirty. My shoes weren't as clean. right? They got that car parked in the middle of the mall all the time. And you're like, my car's not that nice. That one has seat heaters and leather. My car doesn't have seat heaters, right? You just start this discontentment. Things I wasn't even aware that I was missing, right? It's like the new iPhone was out. Like, I didn't even know I had the old iPhone. I was like, look how small my screen is compared to that one. It was just like over and over. By the time the third day came around in the mall, I hated my whole life. I was like, my clothes are old. My shoes are dirty. My car sucks. My iPhone's the last model. I don't know why I still live, right? I mean, it was just like this... Toxic pool that we were swimming on of discontentment. And so the fourth day, like we had a doctor's appointment in the afternoon, but the morning I was like, no more malls. And we splurged, and we spent seven dollars a piece and we went to the zoo. And guess what? They were trying to sell at the zoo. Nothing. It was awesome. We just looked at animals and none of them told me my clothes were old. And it was like the most like it felt like life to our souls, like fresh air. We we're like <gasps> This could be a great opportunity for that for you in a time of prayer and fasting. Just 12 days of unplugging from the nastiness of politics or sports or discontentedness and consumerism. I'm even thinking about, I don't know if I can pull this off, but I'm thinking about not buying a single thing for 12 days. You think I could do that? Like if we go do all our food shopping and just like no buying. No adding, no discontent, I need to go get this thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. I might try it. I'll tell you how it goes next Sunday. I might fail miserably, right? John Calvin said this about fasting. He said there's two ways Christians get fasting wrong. They either don't understand its value, so they don't do it, or they think it's a way to get God to do what they want. They think it's a way to control God, so they do it with the wrong motivation. So I I pray as we head into this time, we avoid both of those. Both thought, I don't need to do this, right? Because there's some people who are listening to this, right? Like, nah, I'm not doing that. Oh, our church is prayer and fasting. Not me. I can't. Uh, Okay. Did you ask God? Right? I don't want you to do anything God doesn't call you to do. But my guess is that if no Christians fast anymore, that's probably less than should be fasting. Right? So there's probably some people who think they don't need to fast that should be fasting. Right, We should avoid that error. There's also the other side of this. It's like, cool, we're going to pray and fast. I'm going to get God to do what I want. That's, that's also a misunderstanding. Right? Some people are like, OK, if I pray and fast for 12 days at the beginning of 2023, then he'll fix my life in 2023, and I'll get God to do whatever I want by skipping a couple of meals in January. Awesome. Like no, that, that's a misunderstanding as well. So why are we doing this? We're setting aside 12 days at the beginning of this year as a time of prayer and fasting not to get something from God. He's already loved us. He's already redeemed us. He's already showed his love for us. He's already given us the hope of heaven. You're not going to not go to heaven because you didn't pray and fast with Riverstone Chapel in 2023. Peter's not going to be at the door like, well, it says you skipped the days. He's not, right? He's not going to keep you out because of that. We are fasting not because we're trying to get God to do something for us, because he's already done such incredible things for us. And we are grateful. We're doing it because we see it taught and modeled in both the Old and New Testament in the scriptures. We see it modeled and taught in the life of Jesus and his followers, not only in your scriptures, but throughout church history. Followers of Jesus have thought it valuable to fast and pray. And we're doing it. Because we believe the things that God has called us to in 2023 and the gifts and resources and relationships he has allowed us to steward are precious and valuable and worth this time of practicing what we preach. I just look through this room, and I know that there's dads in here. There's husbands in here. There's wives in here. There's sons and daughters. There's people who run companies. There's people who have lots of money in the bank. There's people who have relationships. All of those can be stewarded for things of great value if we make sure we're in a good spot with the Lord as we walk into a year of using those things, right? I said earlier, we got coaches here. We got other people who teach people, right? Like this is an opportunity. What if we said, hey, Lord, I'm gonna be influencing some people in 2023. Can you show me how to do that well? Can you direct my steps in that? I'm gonna be making some money in 2023. Can you lead me in what that looks like to honor and glorify you with those finances? I got a wife. She's worth having a great husband. Can you make me a better husband in 2023? I got kids. My kids deserve an amazing dad, the best possible dad that you can give them, Lord. Can you mold and shape my character? Can I be more humble and more patient and more self-sacrificing and more loving towards them in 2023, please? That's my dream. What if this church was full of wives who knew that their husbands were fasting and praying for their marriages? Or the next two weeks. That'd be mind blowing. Unless, of course, there's a whole bunch of wives here who like that doesn't mean anything to them. To like, no, my husband is like going without meals for 12 days in hopes that to be a better husband and more loving, more patient, make me feel valued and cared for and appreciated and lead our family into the highest and best that God has for our lives. Any wives who are like, sounds like a waste of time to me. <laughs> Nobody, right? What if kids? knew that their dads were fasting and praying for them. Fasting and praying for how they raised their children. Fasting and praying for the model that they set for their kids. How different is that than the cult? Like, can you imagine two kids on the playground? Like, tell me about your dad. Like, mom, that dad works too late, but when he does come home, like super late, if he's not working, he's sitting on the couch, drinking beer, watching football and playing video games. It's like, what's your dad do? Well, my dad is fasting and praying for ways he can be a better model of Christ's love for his church for me and ways he can encourage me into using my gifts to be a kingdom-minded individual as I grow up and be a disciple of Jesus. How different is that? Right? The little kid's like, wait, your dad's doing what? Your dad loves you how? I think people would, well... Yeah. I'm four minutes over. So what are we doing? Uh, Riverstone Chapel Leadership is spending 12 days in corporate fasting and prayer from Wednesday, January 4th. So whatever sweets and tempting foods you got in your house between Christmas and New Year's, you got three days to get them out of your house. Uh, We're starting on Wednesday. to the following Sunday. So 12 days, Wednesday, January 4th to Sunday, January 15th, We'll have a page on the website. If you're interested in fasting and praying with us, uh, we would invite you and encourage you into that. How cool would it be to be like, hey, I'm having trouble this morning because I'm hungry too. Uh, What we're going to do, what kind of fast are we doing? We're going to follow the early church uh, and kind of what they did and do what's called the black fast. Right, so that's fast for daylight hours, and then it would be a one meal a day. So a dinner after sunset, one meal a day for 12 days. Um, It's a corporate thing. Right? It's a gathered together thing. There is actually later on in church history, they came up with this term called collations. Collation came from the word collate, which is to gather together in the Latin. Anyway, it's because when fasting gathered people together. Now, collations, if you want to do that, that's kind of a like, hey, I need to eat, man, but I'd like to still do a part of this, right? So if you're like a UFC fighter and you're gonna fight somebody on Saturday, like maybe you should eat before you fight somebody, okay? If that's your job. Okay? So collations would be not a complete fast, but you eat a quarter of a meal for breakfast, and a quarter of a meal for lunch, and then the regular meal for dinner. Right? So a quarter of the meal you would normally eat for breakfast, a quarter of the meal for lunch, and then a regular meal for dinner. A quarter of the meal you feel like eating, right? Because if fasting is self-denial, i would be like, that's a quarter of somebody's meal. Like, we're not talking about Goliath here, right? A quarter of the meal you were planning on eating, right? So it's still self-denial, but you're not, yeah, whatever. Some of you feel like that would be a healthier way to do it. That's fine, right? Maybe other ideas you could do is maybe you just do the first and last day with us. You're like, I can't commit to 12 days. Maybe you do uh, Wednesdays and Fridays like the early church and then Sundays, because that's the day we gather together. So if you did Wednesday, Friday, Sundays for the 12 days, you'd end up doing six days of fasting and prayer uh, while we did 12. Any way you want to participate, there's lots of ideas. If you have have something and you're like, I want to be a part, but I'm not sure how I could be a part, Shoot me an email at the church website. Uh, I can even give you some ideas. You could combine fasting with abstinence, TV, social media, politics, alcohol, sugar, meat. Don't do meat. No, you could do meat if you want. I'm not doing meat. Cell phone, sports, video games. And then press into something. Don't just waste your time with, that you have because you're not eating or because you're not eating as much. Press into prayer. Press into the How to Study Your Bible series on Right Now Media. Press into maybe... Bible memorization doesn't have you don't have to memorize a chapter just memorize a verse. Maybe read a marriage book, right? If you're praying for your marriage, read a book on marriage. If you're praying for your kids, read a book on parenting. Maybe you get more rest. Maybe you volunteer somewhere. I was going to read Isaiah 58, but I'm already 7 minutes over. That's your homework. Okay? You have 3 days until Wednesday to pray How would God call you to be a part of this? I want you to do exactly what God is calling you to do, right? I don't want you to do any, I don't, Christians are great at guilt trips, right? And I could have finished this message We're like, your marriage isn't worth fasting over? Tell that to your wife. Go home and tell your kids, you're not valuable enough for me fasting, right? That's a guilt trip. We're not trying to do that. I want you to pray and say, God, do you want me to be a part of this? I want as many people as God wants to be a part of this. And all I know for certain is that me and a couple members of our leadership team who have already told me they're going to do it are are going to do this. And I believe that God wants to do something cool in this church in 2023. And I think it starts with 12 days that we just say, hey, Lord, here we are. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to seek your face. We're going to ask for your direction. We're going to ask for you to lead us. What do you want to do with our hearts? What do you want to do with our relationships? What do you want to do with our church? What do you want to do in our city? What do you want to do in our marriages? What do you want to do with our kids? Let's finish in prayer. Father, I thank you for your words and uh, how it encourages us. And I'm excited to see what you do in your people through a time of prayer and fasting um, as we humble ourselves at the beginning of 2023. And and I just ask that your hand would be upon us Uh, that you would lead and guide us, Lord, Uh, that you would give us great clarity onto whether or not you're calling us to participate in this time of prayer and fasting. And uh, I just look forward to the day when we look back on this time that we honored you and uh, we get to share the cool stories of what you did, Lord, because I know you'll show up. Um, Thank you for your people. Thank you for the new year. Bless 2023, Lord, in Riverstone Chapel. We ask you in your name, amen.